I'm going to continue uh, from, uh, from last class, which was Sunday afternoon, on the subject matter of Kedushim Holiness, which is this week's portion, and the preparation for redemption. And so uh, I think also Miss Betty has something that she wants to contribute at the end of oh, this, it's right? Not a teaching, it's right, I understand. Do, do you want to do it at the end of the class? Okay, good. This class will be um, looking forward. Pesach, in general, is about remembering the past, right? It's about counting uh, the events of the Exodus from Egypt. And all of that's fine. But we have to remember that Pesach really is the... Um, provides us with a pattern for redemption, for the, for the end of days uh, and the final redemption. Because truly, until, until the final redemption, until Mashiach does come, uh, at some level, half of the Jewish people are still not in Egypt, in Israel, I'm sorry. Uh, they still live in the nations. And there are also many thousands of people that are the Ger Toshav or the Bnei Noach that is uh, clinging to Torah and they are not in Israel. All of us looking for redemption. Uh, I was blessed today not to have seen any news and I found out that Russia invaded the Ukraine or yes, Eastern, Eastern Ukraine. And um, you know, listen, we, we are all very aware that the footsteps of Mashiach is, is, is sounding. We can hear it in the nations right now. And it doesn't take a great uh, uh, Torah scholar to figure that out. I mean, you just open your eyes. I, I would think that for the vast majority of people out there, even those who consider themselves somewhat religious, are oblivious to the footsteps of Mashiach. And the reason why I say that is we are living in a culture in which um, famili familiarity of information often breeds some level of contempt for people. Here we all remember, especially when we were younger, and some of you guys that are younger, younger won't remember this, when Israel became a nation and then in the Six-Day War, I, I, mean, I remember... Uh, one time at a place I was a little boy and there was a state trooper and I could overhear him talking about the war that was going on and how you know maybe this was going to be the end of days maybe this was Gog and Magog and here I am 50 years old and that hasn't happened yet but we do know that before Moshe was sent into Egypt he there was preparation that was going on now, what was that preparation? The preparation was the, the ear of Hashem, anthropomorphic ear of Hashem, inclined himself and heard the cries of the people. He heard their cries for redemption. And at the same time, it is Hashem that told Avraham that they would be in Egypt. And it was part of the bigger plan. And so we understand that preparation has already begun for the final redemption. How do we know that? We can simply look at our very short history of our lifetime 
in which the nation of Israel was born. It has survived uh, numerous uh, attacks, two major wars by all of the surrounding nations and by miraculous circumstances have made it through each one. And we still find Israel struggling for its existence in the world court, right? They still want to stamp it out. And you and I both know that's not going to happen, right? Hashem's not going to let it happen. But the preparation already has begun. If you would have said 85 years ago that Israel would be in the land, the desert would bloom, just what the prophet said, most people would go, well, it sounds good, but that's not even on the horizon. And a nation was born overnight. And one day, a nation was born. Uh, the pains will be going to Israel next week, and you'll see the beauty of the land and how beautiful Tzfat is and how beautiful uh, uh, the land is blooming and growing in the forest, and there are cities expanding in, in Israel. The preparation has already begun. I, I do believe that before the vast majority, or the, ex the next exodus is going to come, we have to do some preparation. But in the, at the end of this class, we will talk about the specific items of preparation, which has to do with the portion Kadashim, right? And they're very practical. They're not, we're not talking about packing a go bag and a, and a suitcase and get your passport, though that may not be a bad idea. The idea, though, is, is for spiritual preparation. When, when redemption comes, when it's time for his people to go, we will not have a choice. We won't have a choice. I mean, you will choose, bottom line, but for those who, who have deep within their heart a love for Hashem, a love for His Torah, a love for His people, well, no, we're all going to know it's time to go. In Egypt, many of the Israelites didn't leave, and that is a shocking reality. You would think, how in the world could, could you choose? I mean, how could you make that decision not to go? There are individuals right now that if we were challenged to go, uh, even for those who love Hashem dearly and love His Torah, would, would think twice because it's like, what about my job and I've got to close accounts out and I have to do all these things to prepare. Uh, and we have to remember that when it's time, just as Hashem took care of Israel to bring them out, fed them with manna, protected them from the sun, cooled them, uh, heated them up at night, kept the temperature at a perfect temperature. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. I must tell you and declare, according to the prophets, that we will have the opportunity to be brought back and Hashem will do His work. He'll do it for us. He'll help us. But we have to do our preparation now. In Pesach, we, we remember the unleavened bread. The first thing that we should remember as we look to the past, look to the past for our prescription for the future, is the steps that took place before redemption. I want you to listen very carefully when I say this, because I... I just, when I say it, I, I want you to allow divine inspiration to guide your thought processes to know what I'm talking about. Um, 
Hashem had to bring, uh, had to decimate the Egyptian deities' capabilities, right? Their gods failed them. Lice, frog, hell, you just go through the whole list, their gods failed them. But at the same time, there was still this leftover adoration to their god, the god of the ram or the horse, the god. And God required the Israelite people to take that lamb and to stake it out in the front yard, put it on display for all the Egyptians. I mean, I said this last week, but could you imagine going to India right now? And go take someone's sacred cow with all the roses and flowers on it and stake it out in the front yard and then in the end of four days, cut its throat, put it on a fire and roast it, entrails and everything, and then invite all your friends to pick off the meat off the bones and eat it and then throw the carcass out on the road. What do you think would happen in India today if you did that? You'd lose, you'd be stoned, you'd lose your life, right? What, how is that pointing to the future? <clears throat> the, there is a midrash that talks about the end of days and how the idols will bow down to Hashem. They will de declare Hashem as God. Mm -hmm. I don't even understand what that's going to look like. But just as we hear the footsteps of Mashiach now, with the things that are going on in the world. So too are we hearing the footsteps or the sound or the rippling sound of redemption in the world because you are the example of it. Those people that watch each week that are not Jewish but all of a sudden have this incredible infinity for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his Torah, you are experiencing that ripple effect. We are all experiencing that. There is a great paradigm shift that is taking place in the world. To, to be at, at the Pesach Seder with Chabad and see the almost 200 people that were there, uh, it is, it's as if we're seeing um, a revival taking place within the Jewish community. But it's not just in the Jewish community. It's also amongst, amongst the people in the nations. So we hear, we hear the rumbling. Now how long is it going to be for redemption? Who's, is, is, let me ask you this, is Hashem bound to anybody's time clock? No. no. Is He bound to three blood moons? No. <coughs> no. Is He bound to anything besides His own timing? His own timing, right? His timing, His timing is going to happen. Mm -hmm. However, there are plenty of places in which the great sages of Judaism have talked about how mankind, especially the Jewish people and the righteous among the nations, can begin to expedite redemption by tshuva, by repentance, mm -hmm. by turning their hearts back to Hashem. We have to become the greatest mouthpieces and purveyors of teshuva to the nations. We have to begin to be bold enough to stand up and stake your trust in Hashem and Hashem alone. Because how will the nations know that there is only one God if we do not declare that there is only one God? If we don't show them the way. If we don't show them the way.
How will they ever know that the gods that they serve are merely physical uh, embodiments of something that is possibly even demonic? How do we show them that unless we first destroy the idolatry in our own life? Whatever it may be. Most of us in this room have done a really beautiful job beginning to disassemble all of your preconceived ideas about your religion, your theology, and begin to take on the yoke of heaven. Because, my friend, taking on the yoke of heaven is the key to redemption. The Israelites were told to make unleavened bread. For Pesach each year, we, we clear out all the chametz in the house. And uh, Ira and I were joking about it Sunday, and I made it sound like I had a tinfoil hat to keep the hummus from falling out my hair. And we were having a great time about it. And people go to extreme measures to make sure that they don't have hummus. If one does all of those things uh, ritually, but yet has have not taken on the yoke of heaven, do you understand what I'm saying? There's something, there's something deep down inside of the neshama that, that's a different perspective. It goes beyond the it, external. It goes beyond the external. The external is very important. Exactly. But what I am concerned about more than trying to find every little dot of chametz in my house mm-hmm. is is there anything within my psyche, within my within my inclination? Because what is chametz? stand for Yetzirah, the evil inclination. If I have anything within my inclination that would cause me to delay a second when Hashem says move, then I really need to clear that out. Is, is there anything deep within ourselves, including myself, that would ask this question when I have uh, phenomenal understanding that comes from the words of the Torah or from one of the great sages that challenges me to ascend to a higher level. Is there going to be any moment of chametz or uh, yetzaharah that will cause me to say, not now, I, I can't do it now, I mean, later on down the road. There was uh, a sense of urgency for the people of God in Egypt. They had to eat with their sandals on, their staffs in their hand, they had matzah packed, didn't have time for the bread to rise, no chametz in the matzah. And they had to be ready to go. And of course, if you're killing their God out in the courtyard, you better be ready to run, right? So, I mean, they had to be ready to go. It's easy in our culture, especially in America, if you're on Facebook, there's probably 80% of the stuff put up on Facebook is what I call paranoia and panic, right? This is, I am not talking about that, okay? So please don't think that I'm talking about some scenario in which you need to go, like, paint your face with camouflage and buy a new set of combat boots. You might want to do it, but you need to concentrate, and we need to concentrate on what is most important, and that is, our yetzer tov, our good inclination that cause us to live holy lives. This sense of urgency, I do believe that most of us in this community have that sense of urgency. We understand that. 
But this is more than just influencing ourselves. This is also being a light to others. So your preparation and your sense of attention to detail, to do the purpose and the will of Hashem, has everything to do with illuminating your culture around you. Don't underestimate the power of the little attention to detail that you do in your life that will illuminate someone else's life and cause them to ask the questions, why do you do this? I had the wonderful opportunity to go give our hummets to someone that the next door, she actually works as a housekeeper for someone who is a, what do you call it, hospice. Mm -hmm. and uh, a, a fairly poor family and I walked over with this two, you know, two big bags full of stuff and I said hey every year we have a custom that we get rid of our chametz or our, our you know, anything that has yeast or the five talked about the five grains and she was looking at me like why are you telling me this <laughs> and I said I, I have something I need you to look at outside and I, she knew me it's not like I was trying to lure this poor woman out in the yard and so she came out and saw this and was like, oh, I, this is great. Thank you so much. And, and it was, I felt so wonderful. It wasn't about giving them the stuff as much as telling them the story of Pesach. All right. That was what, and I said, do you remember Passover? And she goes, oh, yeah, I remember the story. I said, do you remember unleavened bread? Yes, yes, unleavened bread. It doesn't have yeast or whatever. I said, yes. And so I had a little opportunity to give them uh, a little uh, Devar Torah Right there in the front yard. That's what we're talking about is being a light. It's not about trying to lead a blind man, okay? It's not about trying to, to do something that they don't want. It's just about illuminating ourselves before uh, them, allowing Hashem to be illuminated through us. So how do we tie this in with the portion for this week? Um, it's so attached that I couldn't help but to, to bring them and tie them together. Holiness is a very practical matter. Um, it is, even though it affects things in a super spiritual way, it's not very super spiritual. It's very practical, right? It's just very practical. In this room, if I were to ask, just about all of you would probably say, you know, I'd love to find better ways to refine myself and to be holy as Hashem is holy, as He says. And then when you look through the text this week, you see all of these very practical things to where you can demonstrate holiness at another level. And so we're going to go to the 19th chapter of uh, Kedeshim and, and Leviticus, the 19th chapter. And uh, we stopped at like 13 or 14. We're going to go to 15 is where we're going to pick up. I find it interesting that the portion that we have this week uh, in its uh, most of the elements of this portion uh, have also to deal with the ger or the b'nai noach uh, because they're, they're just expanded uh, commentary on the seven Noahide laws. It's really interesting. So it brings it down to a, a finer level. 
Verse 15, chapter 19. Do not deal falsely in judgment. Do not take the side of the poor or show favor to the great. Judge your people with truth. Now, that connects itself to what B'nai Noach or what Noahide law to establish courts of justice, right? But it goes a little bit further than that, and that is it's not only for the judge, but it is also in reference to the witnesses within a court system. So the judge and the court needs to make sure that they don't deal falsely in judgment. Now, what do we mean deal falsely in judgment? The second part tells us, don't take the side of a poor person or show favor to a great. If you show favor to a great person or indifference to a poor person in a judgment, then you are dealing falsely. Does that make sense? You, you are not looking at the truth. Is, that, is this applicable to us today? Yes, it is. Absolutely, it's applicable. You may not be in a court or judgment matter, but at the same time, the way you deal with people is very important. Do you judge favorably? And listen, we all can learn more about this. I, I have, you know, been around and seen people within the community of good religious people that that somehow have forgotten this, and they can sometimes be very cruel and indifferent to people or show favoritism to other people because of their status. And if we want to prepare for redemption. If we do, then it must be through these levels of holiness that Hashem calls us to in these chapters, in these verses. Next, do not speak slander. Actually, it's interesting because Onkelos says literally, eat destruction among your people. To speak slander is like <coughs> consuming another person. The next verse tells us specifically what this looks like to Hashem. Do not stand over the blood of your neighbor. So for one to speak slander to about another person or slander to their fellow is destructive. So much so destructive that in the eyes of Hashem it's as if you are murdering them. It's like you have pierce them and blood comes out and you're standing in their blood. That is a very powerful image. So slander, it's important not to slander. Next. Do not hate your neighbor in your heart. Admonish your neighbor so that you do not receive guilt because of him. Why does he use the term do not hate your neighbor in your heart? What do you think that's pointing to? Don't hate him in your heart. Now, we know the root of your behavior is deep down inside of you, correct? But it's possible to treat someone kindly or justly and still hate them in your heart, right? So you can lend them uh, a hand and still have hatred in your heart. Why is Hashem concerned about that? Because that is the very thing. Yes, sir, go ahead. You want to say something? That is the very thing that we talked about earlier. Earlier, holiness is not only the exterior manifestation, but is the interior work 
that takes place. Something deep down the psyche no one else knows about your hatred or dislike of an individual. Only Hashem knows that. And He says very clearly, do not hate your neighbor. And that is verse 17. Onkelos says, this is, a, uh, this is converse of love your fellow as yourself in verse 18. Observing these two commands will ensure that Jews will continue to dwell in the Holy Land since it was because of unwarranted hatred that the second temple was destroyed and Jews were exiled out of the land. Verse, um, let's see. Um, I mean, Nachman writes... Rabbi Akiva once exclaimed, Don't doubt if there is anyone in this generation who is capable of giving rebuke. There is an art of giving rebuke. Mm -hmm. If a person is unfit to rebuke others, not only does his rebuke have no effect, but he even arouses the stench of the wicked deeds and evil traits of the wrongdoer. Now, in this verse, it says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. You must rebuke your fellow and not bear sin because of him. So think about it. You're going to rebuke an individual, but you don't have the moral authority to do it. And the method that you use humiliates them. And if you do that, then in reality, you are bearing as much sin as the person that you're attempting to rebuke. So what do we do about rebuke? Keep your mouth shut. And if you're going to do it, it's got to be done with the right proper approach, right? If someone that has an offensive odor is left alone, its smell is undetected. But if someone moves the object, it will again give off an offensive odor. So too, if a person sins and then goes on with his life, the stench of his sins lies dormant. Should he be rebuked improperly, that may arouse the energy of those sin, whose stench will then harm him. One who gives rebuke must be able to arouse in the other person a remorse that will be beneficial to his spiritual growth. Moshe was someone who was fit to give rebuke, as his moral guidance bestowed a pleasant scent upon those who had sinned. When Jews made the golden calf, Moshe rebuked them in a way that inspired them to attain complete repentance. They went on to build the tabernacle and experience an open manifestation of God's presence in their midst. We've heard the phrase, don't stir the pot, right? Just some things are just left, better left unsaid. If you know someone uh, that you feel needs rebuke, it's better to go to a higher authority, someone that possibly can handle that, someone with great wisdom, an elder within the community that can do that. Uh, as we said, it's like you don't want to uncover the stink. It's just a lot better left, left unsaid. On the section, do not bear sin because of him, although it is a mitzvah to rebuke someone for acting improperly, it is worse to embarrass him. For this can lead to arguments and strife. It is better to remain silent than to cause strife. Found in Lakuti Halakot, uh, the fourth chapter, page uh, six, uh, 167. Verse 18. Someone read chapter 19, verse 18. 
you shall not take revenge, and you shall not bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your fellow as yourself. I am Hashem. You shall observe my decrees. You shall not mate your animal into another species. You shall not plant your field with mixed seed. And a garment that is a mixture of combined fibers shall not come upon you. Okay, pause right there. I want to look at this verse. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against a member of the people. Love your friend as you love yourself. I am a shim. Why do I need to love my fellow like I love myself? Because that's who we love the most. Right. Well, we love ourselves a lot. Okay. So, but why? Because a shim said to. Right? And we come up to all kinds of great sociological reasons why it's good to do that, right? We, that's a lot of good reasons. I love being in a place like this community where we don't have endless backbiting and people gossiping and tearing people apart. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and because we all have so much fear of Hashem that we don't want to speak Lashon Hara, we're very careful about that. But at the same time, we love ourselves a lot. And I, I think that that is something that we should remember. How much do you love you? How much do you want people to treat you? You know, we've heard this golden rule that says to do unto others as others do, uh, others have, yeah, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Rabbi Akiva taught, love your friend as your fellow ser- yourself. This is a great principle. This is like one of the greatest principles of Torah. Mm-hmm. Kalal, the principle is related to kalal layut, uh, togetherness. The main means to receive Torah is by binding ourselves in unity. Mm. How do we prepare ourselves for final redemption? Is by having a community that is unified in love for each other. How do we receive or draw down uh, divine inspiration from Torah? It's through our unity. We know communities right now that we could probably go to and have maybe have experienced that have infighting and arguing and racism and whatever you name it and to them it's a you know they they, they're clueless as to what they're missing out on and then when you get in a wonderful group like this that teaches you and shows you the way of Hashem you don't go off the the path of righteousness you continue to walk on it and you realize the gates of heaven open up and you're able to see things and understand things that you never would have before. When people love and respect each other, each can illuminate his friend with his spirituality and receive spiritual illumination from another. This is also found in the Kutei Halakot. Love your friend as you love yourself. One should accept the mitzvah upon himself before praying. Before you pray. Before you get up in the morning to start your prayer before you pray to go to bed at night examine yourself for the chametz of the yetzer uh, 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 that would cause you to hate within your heart to not show love for your fellow this is important it's a wonderful mitzvah all types of speech according to Rabbi Nachman are associated with peace including our prayers if there is no peace and love between people, they cannot pray properly. Thus, a synagogue is called a bet knesset, from the word kinus, or a gathering place, since it brings people together and unifies them with common purpose. 
So it, many aspects are coming together today. Not only do we receive great illumination, but we're able to share that illumination. It's hard for us in a very physical world to see that effect, right? It's just kind of hard to imagine that. But know that when we come here, we are enlightening other people and they are enlightening us. When someone sends me a text and say, hey, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the lesson for tonight or what are we going to discuss tonight? And I find out that they're going to be there for sure. That already illuminates me. It makes me feel so wonderful when I hear that. The last part that Rabbi Nachman talks about here on this, on this uh, portion where God says, I am God, love your friend as, your, as yourself, I am God. Speech is rooted in peace. The verses state, I, I now speak peace, Psalm 122.8. When there is strife, a person cannot speak properly. In particular, he cannot speak proper words of prayer. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. If we have in our heart a root of strife against our fellow or against another person it affects your speech it is almost an intoxication of that's created by your yetzirah that makes sense it also causes a selfishness because you're trying to defend your your viewpoint yourself absolutely and it turns everything in correct correct and and when we approach hashem in prayer it's about turning ourselves outward and upward to Him, right? Uh, And it's very difficult for us to, well, put it this way, it's impossible to approach Hashem in purity of heart when you're trying to guard a certain place that you know that He wants you to let free or open. Or defend it. Or defend it, right, exactly. Actively defending it. Right, right. And I've known people that that have have prayed prayers as part of their defense, Mm -hmm. right? Does it make sense you pray prayers to but it's very justify your action? Yeah, to def- justify your action. But it's, not, it's not apparent many times. Well, of course. Well, we should, all, we should all examine this because this affects our holiness. This affects our preparation. In the same way that Israel had to make sure every bit of chametz was not in the, the, the loaf, we need to make sure that there isn't any vestige of something that causes us to be puffed up in our pride. Chametz represents haughtiness, pride, puffed up. Mm-hmm. You know, pride has its place. It's a good time to be mm-hmm. proud of what you do. There's nothing wrong with eating leavened bread throughout the year, but there are times when it comes to the preparation of redemption, we can't do it. There's no room for haughtiness. There's no new room for self-centered pride. It's about uh, coming together in unity. Uh, Rabbi Nachman continues and says, Therefore King David said, I am peace, yet how can I speak? They are for war. The solution for every person prior to prayer, to accept upon himself the commandment to love your friend as you love yourself. In doing so, he attains peace, his speech becomes worthy again, and he can offer a proper prayer. How do we want... But how do we would we love to have Hashem incline His ear to us? Of course we do, and we know He can hear us at all times. But how can He hear us if we're intoxicated by our hatred or dislike for someone? Does it make sense? That's what we're talking about. 
The Torah lists this mitzvah after many other commandments instructing us to be careful with other people's properties, possessions, cattle, etc. The love of one human being or one Jew to another is exemplified by how one conducts himself, behaving morally, acting without jealousy, and so on. Rab Nasan adds that one who has love for God and love for his friend will not err. You cannot go wrong with love. Cannot go wrong with it. He will always take care to act in the best possible way. The main reason why people commit accidental sins or accidentally harm one another is because they lack perfected love for Hashem or their fellow. This is found in Lakuti Alakot 6. I mean, I'm sorry, 8. Mm -hmm. There is a concept that Rabbi Nachman talks about. A ceasefire relationship is insufficient. A ceasefire relationship is insufficient. Do we know what a ceasefire relationship is? Yeah, you hold each side's opinion, but you don't fire one another. Right. It's like you just uh, keep your, your, your place in the we all We all have permission to be right or wrong, and we just won't fight about it. Right? Right. You won't fight about it. But if you're still holding hatred in your heart, what is that achieving? Nothing, right? It's still going to affect your prayer. One must nurture actual true love between himself and others. Nurture it. Now, we all have children. We can do that. We know how to love our children. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. You know, um, I've even seen, seen people love their pets more than they love people. Well, it's easier. Right? It is easier sometimes. You're right. You're right. You're right. I have to admit that. Uh, I hope my daughter's not watching this, but if she does, she'll she'll know the humor that I'm going to deal with this. When she first got that huge dog, right? It's like if it had tusk, it could be like a, one of those mammoth things, right? It was huge, big paws. Runs into furniture, knocking stuff over. Just, he's a, just was a big klutzy baby. Now the dog's mature and it's a sweet dog, right? But it, that dog never did anything wrong. It was always our dogs, right? And our dogs are little old ch ch chihuahuas. Like, how are they going to knock a table over, right? And it was like, you know what? Maybe you should get control of your dogs. I'm like, what? You, you brought this dog and brought chaos in our house, right? People even love their dogs that, at that level. If we can love a dog or a cat to that level, we surely should be able to demonstrate love for another person. Now, how do you love someone that doesn't love you back? Very patiently. Very patiently. Very carefully. Mm -hmm. Very carefully. And don't put yourself out to be hurt. We're not talking about being foolish in your relationship. We're talking about demonstrating kindness and evacuating the self-centered hurt and pain that comes from someone else's bad relationship with you. That's very hard. Too. It is very difficult. Rabbi Nachman continues on. Moreover, to avoid strife, we must always remember that people think and act differently, yet we must judge them favorably. 
and think of them as being sincere in their efforts and devotions, despite seeming ze- uh, their seeming zealousness, other people are entitled to their thoughts mm-hmm. and opinions. It's all right for people to for you not to agree with them. Right. It's all right for people to have a different opinion than you. It's all right for people to prefer things more than they prefer you. Just let them go on. <coughs> like Rodney King, let's all get along. The Torah is called Mishpat, which means justice. Psalm 19.10 is a reference. Since Mishpat is found in the heart, justice is found in the heart, the seat of emotions... It is connected to the attribute of love. When a person attains true mishpat or justice, he attains love. How do we love a person that is not very lovable? Treat them with justice. Just be just. Don't go overboard to try to make their life miserable because you don't like them. Okay. Um, When a person attains true mishpat, mishpat, he attains love, and when he attains love, he attains true mishpat, uh, true understanding and connection to Torah. Rabbi Akiva inculcated this principle because he was a descendant of converts who are greater in need of rectification of mishpat or justice. When Rabbi Akiva had 2,400 students, did not attain love for one another, they die. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of Rabbi Akiva's great five disciples, rectified those students' blemishes since he and his group had great love for one another. What does that mean? Students who failed to have love for one another, they spiritually died and some became ill and died. Mm-hmm. And this other rabbi comes in, uh, Rabbi uh, Shimon Bar Yochai. He came and rectified it by by helping to remove the blemishes and create an environment of justice and love for each other. Very important. At Sinai, each Jew agreed to be a guarantor for the other to serve God. But it's hard enough for us to fulfill our own obligations, let alone take responsibility for someone else. How often do we find ourselves in the middle of prayer without realizing where, uh, where we're up to or become so sidetracked that we forget we are in prayer itself and communicating to the Creator? How many times have we been praying and all of a sudden you're stirring a cake in your mind? You're in prayer and you're thinking, I should have split that wire twice and wrapped it before. Right? Because that's our evil inclination. It, it is, it is our inclination. That, even though we have it, if we overcome it, we still keep a reward. Right, uh, absolutely. What if you, you fall asleep? Is that okay? Well, we all fall asleep. Yeah. That's, I mean, while you're praying. Yeah. Well, that's why it's important to stand while we pray before Hashem. Okay. Yeah. So you, if you fall asleep, you'll wake up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll remember where you were with that, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was funny, the other night I was listening to um, Rabbi Eliyahu Ken, one of my favorite teachers, and, uh, and I, was, I was listening to it, and I was kind of dozing, and he was talking about, you know, it's really good 
to watch Torah, listen to Torah, you know, uh, listen to music that inspires you, cause simka and joy. You know, he's talking about all these things. And he says, it's great even to watch it before you go to bed. And I'm about to doze off. And he said, but don't go to sleep. That's weird. <laughs> right? I had to wake up and pay attention until he finished off. Right? Rav Nachman continues on and says, the only way we can fulfill our obligations is with ratzon, or desire. Well, let's talk about this for a second. Bottom line, the only way holiness can ever be obtained mm -hmm. is you truly have to desire it. If you don't desire it, it's not coming your way. You're not sincere. You're not sincere. It's, it's like anything else in life. If I want to lose weight, I have to desire it. If right. I want to become a great marksman, I have to desire it. If I want to become a great carpenter, I have to desire it. Period. If you don't have that desire, then it's time to seek Hashem and ask Him to help you gain the desire. But here's interesting. We have a deep and burning rason or desire to serve God. We are given the ability to do so. God gives us the ability to desire Him. Right? Mm -hmm. We can arouse that very same rason through love for others. So in the same way that we have a desire to love God and you revere and fear God, you can tap into that love for God to also begin to develop the desire to love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. So if you're having a difficult time loving others and not carrying grudges, then the best thing to do is to tap into your love for Hashem. Pretty, pretty, pretty simple. We can arouse that ratzon through loving others. Act uh, of uniting with others arouse divine favor. Parallel our own Retzon, or desire to serve God. By loving others and drawing the desire to serve God, we can eventually succeed in performing the mitzvah correctly. Gosh, there's so much to go on. And we're running out of time. Um, let me... Uh, we're going to have to come back to this subject and I'd like to do a separate class on it one day. There's so much information that we can share. I do want to go on and touch on a couple of other things. In chapter 19, there is this prohibition of mixing, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the mixing. Why were the people not allowed to mix wool and linen together? It was because the priest did it in the temple and it wasn't allowed to be made common in the in the uh, in the community it's that's why today if you see a menorah being sold you won't see a menorah that has six uh, stems on it you'll see it with eight or uh, I'm sorry six or eight instead of seven because the menorah in the temple they want to be careful not to mimic the menorah in the temple um, what is important how do we tie in mixing with redemption. Let's talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. This actually is probably the finer point of Kadeshim or holiness that some, will, some can grasp pretty quick because they have appropriately developed their ratzon, their desire for Hashem and their love for other people and they have illumination of Torah in their life it'll be easier for some and then for others it'll take a little bit more time to work through <clears throat> how do we tie in this idea of mixing now you couldn't breed two different species of animals you weren't to plant 
two different seeds. You were supposed to put them at certain distances away from another. You weren't supposed to plant certain vegetables near a, 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 a vineyard, correct? Uh, why? Because each species needed certain nutrients from the soil, and we know this now. But bottom line, they did it because Hashem said not to do it. But how do we, how do we gain knowledge in the 21st century as we look to redemption? We're living in a, so a society of assimilation. As a matter of fact, the more we assimilate and the more we become like our society, uh, that becomes sort of the higher um, uh, nirvana, the higher level of societal expectation. We need to all become like each other. And individuality is not something that is that is smiled on even in some countries. We live, Baruch Hashem, in a wonderful state of the United States called Texas. And there is a tremendous, uh, strong sense of independence here. Now, that independence can turn into rebellion if we're not careful. So we're not talking about independence from Hashem, but we're talking about a sense of identity of who we really are. When I talked about redemption and assimilation, what is mixing? And that is we're mixing in properties that should not be put together. It's not that the two independently are bad. The two are independently. There's nothing wrong with, with a tomato plant, but you don't plant tomatoes in a vineyard. There's a reason for, behind, for, for that. That is that brings down this idea that in the days prior to redemption that we guard ourselves from mixing worldly things in with the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. The yoke of heaven becomes a burden when you're trying to carry the yoke of mankind and humanity. When you're trying to carry the yoke of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the yoke of heaven will become quite heavy, almost impossible to carry. We cannot afford to mix these things. There are philosophies in the world that we live that, that would like you to mix them in with ideas of the Torah. They shouldn't be mixed. They just shouldn't be mixed. There are mystical things found within the Torah that is completely against the logic of man. But if you try to mix these logical things from, what do you call it, uh, philosophies of mankind, then we are dumbing ourselves down and we're not helping ourselves out at all. There's nothing wrong with the philosophies of the world. But at the same time, for us to attempt to mix the philosophies of the world with the knowledge of Hashem and what Hashem says, that becomes the danger. There is a whole society, I was asking a... Uh, uh, a guest at the Seder, he was from France, and he's just visiting, staying at the hotel that night, and I asked him, I said, hey, you, in France, do you guys have uh, the different divisions of Judaism, you know, reform, uh, conservative, and what's, uh, there's one other, I can't remember, reconstructionist and orthodox. And he goes, no, everybody's orthodox there. It shocked me, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. He said it's only an American thing. It's only an American thing. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because they're mixing. But why? 
because two people disagree with each other, and as a result, you have a third. Mm -hmm. Correct. But what what is the source of the disagreement? First of all, lack of unity. Uh, you, you're going there. You're right there. First is lack of unity and love for their fellow. Mm -hmm. Right. When we don't have unity and love for our fellow, our ratzon, our desire, gets affected. Yeah. And our eyes dim on the understanding of Torah. Are you following me? Mm -hmm. When we don't have unity and we start looking at one person, if you're conservative or, uh, or reform or whomever you are, if you look at them without a true love as Hashem asked us and told us to do, then we're dimming our knowledge and dimming the eyes of our, our understanding. And then it isn't long before, after the dimming of our eyes and understanding, that they find themselves studying Torah and mixing in the philosophies of the world to, to in many cases, decimate the knowledge of God. Where they'll read a text where it says, to do this because I am God. And they'll go, well, yeah, that was for the... That was for the, our people who were at Sinai, not for us. We live in a modern age, and, you know, God is progressive, and we should be progressive. And therefore, this doesn't matter to us. We've, you know that people do that. Why do they do it? Do you think they're doing it because they intentionally are attempting to rebel against Hashem? No. No, they're not. It is a very simple recipe that Rabbi Nachman gave us. A lack of desire... A lack of love brings about a lack of knowledge. And so you can read, if you have no love for your fellow, and you lack the desire to tap into the desire of Hashem, you could read Torah to your blue in the face, you could daven all day long, and your knowledge will not be illuminated. It's the truth. So what do we do to prepare for redemption? I hate to boil it down to such a simple thing. Very simple. This is what's so beautiful about the Torah. Very simple. Change your disposition of love for humanity, for other people. And if you're having a difficult time, begin to examine your desire for Hashem and deepen your desire for Hashem. As you tap into your desire for Hashem, you will all of a sudden begin to feel this this sense of obligation to your fellow, obligation to people around. It's hard to hold a grudge against somebody you love. It's hard to hate on a dog that comes up and licks you after you just finished fussing at it, fussing at it, right? Yeah. Or a cattle comes snuggle up on you after yeah. you fussed at it and threw it out the yard. So it is important for us to begin to develop our desire for Hashem, our desire to love each other as our fellow. Because in doing that, we could be responsible to bring the great redemption. And that concludes this part of the lesson, and we'll open the floor for question and answer.